Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Oh, really enjoying the green, 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 green everywhere. Oh, so, so amazingly green. 
you know, from the air, you can't even see the town of Woodstock. We have so we're really in the forest so much, oh. and it's a big change for us because when there are no leaves on the trees, you can do goat watch basically by sitting in just about one place all day long. But as soon as the trees leave out, you really have to like stay pretty close to the goats because they can disappear in among the trees pretty mm-hmm. easily. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, a folklore that um, we replace ourselves every every seven years. You've heard that, right? I have, yeah. You get a new you every seven years. And one of the things that I thought was interesting about that was that different cells turn over at different rates. The smaller cells turn over really rapidly, and the larger cells turn over less rapidly, so blood cells and cells lining the digestive tract and so on turn over very frequently. And big cells like muscle cells and fat cells turn over infrequently. They stick around for long periods of time. But at an atomic level, the atoms that make up the cells of our body actually change pretty quickly. They're in in much faster motion. And it turns out that the vast majority of the atoms in your body, irrespective of whether the cell has actually changed or not, that the atoms that make it up have changed. And that that happens within every seven to ten days. Wow. I was actually kind of relieved to hear that because, you know, when I started saying that people didn't have to get better before they got worse and that I Mm. didn't have like a cleansing reaction that I could nourish people to help, people said to me, well, sure, you can do that, but it takes years. And I I, I didn't believe that it would take years. And then I had a teacher who said, well, it doesn't have to take years, but I'd say for every year that they've had a chronic problem, it'll take at least a month. That's not what I've seen. What I've seen is that people really do start to change and feel the difference from drinking nourishing herbal infusions within 7 to 10 days. Within atomic turnover. And Here is a beautiful piece from Scientific American just out this month. It says about 25% of your body mass is fluid that is outside the cell. In other words, the interstitial fluids, plasma. And about 7% of your body is actually solids, you know, the, the minerals in your bones. That means that about 68% of you is cells. A person who weighs about 150 pounds has about 30 trillion cells. About 72% of these, in terms of the mass, are fat and muscle cells. Because they're big. 
but they only constitute 0.1% of the number of cells in the body. About 87% of the cells in your body are red blood cells. Red blood cells live only 3 to 120 days. And the cells lining our gut typically live 1 to 7 days. You know that about 1% of our cells, or about 330 billion cells, are replaced every day. Wow. And so we can do the math, and it takes 80 to 100 days to make 30 trillion new cells, which is the equivalent of a new you because you are 30 trillion cells. By the way, those fat and muscle cells can live for up to 50 years. I think that's fascinating. I hope you did, too. I do. And the 87% red blood cells is just, thank you for sharing that. That is, that, along with the rest, and especially that, really, really profound. Thank you. Yes, and the nourishing herbal infusions, which are attracted into the blood without the need for digestion, then Mm -hmm. immediately begin to provide nourishment to those rapid turnover red blood cells, which then get lots more nourishment and oxygen to the longer-lived cells. Brilliant. So brilliant. Our bodies are just magnificent. Yeah, makes me smile and smile. Mm-hmm. Blessed be. Blessed be. We went, went out this weekend to the Skullcap Swamp. Mm-hmm. And although we were, we were pretty much up to our ankles in, in mire and muck and mud and water, uh, we did not, uh, uh, quite unusually, have to donate blood while we were looking for Skullcap. Usually the mosquitoes there are just thick, right, and you really, like, you can't, Swat them all down. So you just say, okay, I will donate some blood to Skullcap Swamp. In in fact, I saw hardly a mosquito out there. Hmm. Hmm. Fascinating. I just that weekend in the Skullcap Swamp. It sounds, wow. (laughs) Did you say that there was Skullcap near you? I have not, to my awareness, come across Skullcap. Hmm. At the time, mm. uh, don't have the habitat near me that would, you know, cause me logically to head in a specific direction. And yeah. uh, so we'll see. There are some wet, more wet, wet woodsy areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wet woodsy dappled. Right. It doesn't. It, so you know, it can't grow in a mature forest. But then again, usually mature trees aren't going to grow that wet. It's going to be smallish trees. Okay. That's a good heads up to look for. Thank you. Yeah. As a matter of fact, sometimes I can find the skullcap by kind of uh, making my vision fuzzy and seeing where the dapples of sunlight are. And often that will be where the skullcap is. Ah. 
Thank you. And then last night at my uh, chat at um, Magical Forest, Enchanted Forest, Enchanted Forest with two R's, um, we talked about catnip. And everybody was amazed that there were so many uses for catnip. They, of course, you know, knew that their cats like catnip. And some of them had heard that catnip, like many mints, eases menstrual cramps. As a matter of fact, catnip has a real reputation for easing menstrual cramps. And um, I recounted to them the story of the apprentice who was going off to a music festival and realized that she'd be menstruating while she was there, and she really relied on fresh catnip tea to ease her menstrual pain, and she didn't figure she'd have any fresh catnip. So she mm. was trying various ways of doing it. She made tea of the dried catnip, but that didn't seem to work very well, and she made a vinegar that didn't work very well, and the tincture worked so well it really knocked her out. So she asked for a dream, and in the dream she was smoking it. So she dried some and rolled it up and smoked it, and sure enough, it relieved her pain almost immediately, even better, in fact, than the fresh leaf tea. Nice. And she took 100 rolled catnip joints to the music festival and gave them out to women who had period pain. And she said 99% of them said it helped in the first 30 seconds. Wow. That was yeah, a genius so that's, idea. That's good yeah, for catnip. And yeah. then um, I always feel a little guilty uh, because I love Yarrow so much that I don't really say as much as I should that what the Army, what the U.S. Army found when they examined plants for their activity against insects was that either the flowering tops of catnip or the flowering tops of yarrow are as good as D-E-E-T. Hmm. Now, yarrow has just so many other you know, wonderful properties, anodyne, vulnerary, um, that I use a yarrow spray as my insect repellent, but if I had lots of catnip, then tincture of the flowering top of catnip would be a wonderful insect spray, too. Because we have lots of catnip, so I found a tiny bit of yarrow, and to know that catnip, I'm going to definitely give that a try. There's so much. So, thanks. Yeah. Flowering top mm-hmm. of catnip. Now, when we think about cats and catnip, we envision the cats like getting all frisky and playing and this, 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 and then mm-hmm. they go to sleep, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, honk. Right. So one mom was thinking about this and she decided to try a little catnip tincture on her hyperactive son. And she gave him three to five drops in his whatever he was drinking. And she said, ooh, she really felt like it helped him focus. And she kept experimenting in a larger dose, like five to ten drops, would very much quiet him down. His focus wouldn't quite be so good, but he'd be able to sit still for longer periods of time. Hmm. And then they were flying across the country, and she thought, I'll give him a whole dropper full thinking that she would just put him out, right? But instead, Uh-oh. it made him super hyper for hours. Oh, oh no. And before he fell asleep. 
Oh. She did tell me that she's passed her intuition about catnip on to other moms with hyperactive kids and that many of them say the catnip tincture's been a real ally for them. Tonight, we get to talk to a dearly beloved friend of mine, Brooke Medicine Eagle. So excited that Brooke is going to be here with us. Let's see. I had her information here, and now it has been eaten. Come back to me. Come back to me. 518, Brooke Medicine Eagle, a legendary indigenous earth keeper, wisdom teacher, healer, visionary, singer, songwriter, shamanic practitioner, ceremonialist, carrier of women's mysteries, sacred ecologist, and catalyst for wholeness. She says, I'll have a lot to say and I will have my own notes about any questions that you have. I want to cover some basic ground. Stick with us until 9 o'clock or come back to hear Brooke Medicine Eagle. Do we have anybody with questions? We do. We have so far one, two, three, four listeners that have pressed one to say they would love to speak with you and they have a question. Well, let's start seeing if there's any answers. All right. We will start with the caller from the 951 area code. From the 951, you're live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. How are you? Really enjoying this day. How about you? I'm good. Yeah, you actually interviewed me last year in May. We talked a little bit about astrology. Oh, that's why your voice sounds so familiar. Yeah. Um. So the reason I'm calling is um, I've been dealing with a parasite infection um, for what I believe has been the last three years. Um, I ended up seeing a GI doctor, and I had that confirmed through um, three stool tests. And I actually have a pretty rare um, and actually potentially dangerous parasite. It's um, known as Antiviba histolytica. Um, and it could actually sometimes rarely spread to other parts of the body. Um, so not, a, not a good parasite, not that any parasite is good to have, but, um, this one has, um, caused a lot of different symptoms for me. And, uh, it's just been this several years of kind of intermittent, um, abdominal pain and, uh, different bowel movements and various sorts of things. Um, to make a long story short, I wasn't able to get fully treated by this GI doctor. They wanted to send me to an infectious disease specialist, but uh, due to COVID, that wasn't something that uh, was able to happen. So um, I finally was able to see another GI doctor actually today. And um, he recommends that I take this two antibiotics um, one is the first one is commonly used for Girardia and other parasites. Mm-hmm. Um, so that for 10 days and then directly after I take that, he recommends taking seven days 
of another antibiotic uh, known as paramycin, um, which apparently, I guess, there's two parts of this parasite. Um, the first antibiotic kills the, uh, the tropophocytes, uh, <clears throat> and then the other part kills the cysts. Um, so I, I've kind of researched this over the last few months, and that's, this does seem to be the kind of treatment to go with. Um, based on a lot of the research. So I've decided that's what I'm going to do. Um, so I'm just kind of calling to see, like, just any ideas to support myself. Um, I do drink nourishing herbal infusions and eat a pretty broad diet, um, lots of cooked vegetables. And um, I eat a lot of yogurt and fermented foods already. So I feel like I already kind of have that in place. Um, but just anything else that I could do to just support myself um, through taking all these antibiotics, which I'm not excited about, but I just feel that it's kind of the best thing for me to do at this point. I agree with you. I'm glad I don't have to talk you into taking the antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good choice. And your body actually gets rid of antibiotics pretty quickly. So it's not perhaps as bad as we might imagine it to be. Stephen Booner's book, Herbal Antibiotics, reminds us that antibiotics are non-biodegradable. And that once yeah. a gram of antibiotics is made, it remains in the environment forever. So at this point, we are all ingesting antibiotics with every bite of food, with every breath of air, with every sip of our drinks. So what we want not to do is to overuse antibiotics. But this is certainly not a case of overusing them. My sense is that you don't need to do anything besides all the excellent things you're doing. Okay. And if anything comes to you, um, give yourself permission to follow that. If you have a sudden hankering for peanut butter, or suddenly you need a cup of green tea or something. You know, if you get some real hankering, go with it, okay? All right. Yeah, that's right. kind of what I felt. I felt like I'm yeah. kind of supported. So. Yeah. I'm so glad you called. Yeah, thank you so much. And you're going to feel so much better next month. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Green blessings. Bye bye. Green blessings. All right. And our next caller tonight is calling from the 724 area code. And the 724, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, this is Sarah. I have been studying with you for about five years now. Um, I'm actually the person that made you the posters of um, the garlic mustard and what's the problem with the problem. Oh, <laughs> um, it's a 
Beautiful poster. Thank you, Sarah. I was just looking at that today and thinking, you know, I've kept it to myself long enough. I should go hang it down at the apprentice house. Oh, that'll be nice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just looking at mine today, too. Um, so I'm calling because today um, I went to an emergency, like a Med Express, um, for some symptoms that were uh, a fever, aches and pains in my body, and a headache in my eyes and temples. And um, I noticed stuff back on, like, May 11th, like headaches starting, and then it, it went away. But it was sort of, like, every now and then there would be, like, another headache um, in those last in the last week. But um, on Monday morning, which was just yesterday, I just had aches all over my body and then a fever last night. So I went in this morning and I did have like an itchy spot on my shoulder that I didn't see any tick there ever. Um, but they said it was a tick bite um, from what they could tell. It looked like it had a bullseye. And the reason I couldn't tell if there was a bullseye myself is because I have a tattoo there and it's dark. Um, so I couldn't really see it myself, but, um, so they, uh, gave me an antibiotic doxy and they also tested me for COVID, which was negative. Um, and I wanted to ask you, and I, I've got all my notes out in the last few years of anything I could find with limes and tick bites. Um, so I've already been taking or using for a long time, um, St. Jones and I got out my echinacea and I have bone set, I have poke root, so I just wanted to ask what you feel would maybe be good to, you know, like a little uh, program I could start for myself. So right now, you've been diagnosed with Lyme disease, and you're taking or about to take the antibiotics to get rid of it. Yeah, they just um, called in the prescription today. Mm-hmm. And you're already taking care of yourself in many good ways, including mm-hmm. eating yogurt and fermented foods and drinking nourishing herbal infusions. Yes, every day. So all the antibiotic is going to do is to make you feel really good. Okay. Just keep taking care of yourself the way you take care of yourself. And, again, we want antibiotics to be used less, but we want to use antibiotics when they're the thing that's really going to get us better. Okay. There's a difference between you taking antibiotics and putting antibiotics in the feet of every animal. So you do good by eating animal products that were raised with antibiotics, and that um, gives you a little more space to take antibiotics when you need them, huh? Okay, that's good to know. Right. Because you're taking care when you can, and now you need this. Astragalus is an interesting herb. It's an herb that's been used in China for a long time. It's a root of a plant in the P 
pea and beans family. And Stephen Booner, in his book Healing Lyme, has popularized the idea that astragalus contains specific immune factors that help us to get better from and to resist infection from Lyme disease. Okay. So I wouldn't use poke root while I'm taking an antibiotic. I'm not um, so sure that I would use echinacea while I'm taking an antibiotic. Okay. I could. I'm not sure why I would. Okay. The hypericum, is it going to actually directly counter the Lyme organism? And so I think that's an excellent choice. Okay, good. Um, I did feel that one the most. Um, and I've already been using that a lot for the sun coming back and um, muscle. I have Tora, or I don't, I, uh, muscle in my elbow. Um, kind of like tennis elbow and um so I, I mean i'm always i have a good relationship with hypericum <laughs> for, whether it's the sun or something else <laughs> does it help reduce your pain um i don't know for sure um because it still hurts uh so i guess no um but i was just helped i thought if i took that with my you know use that with my infusions for the the part in my elbow that it would just help with inflammation or different um, uh, muscle, the muscles, helping the muscles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're taking tincture made from the fresh plant. Um, that kind of moves around in the field each year, but I find no, it, it does, every year. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those and perennials said, that really does move around. I love it. Yeah, and I, I, I just said today I have to get out there and take a walk, and I don't feel very good today, but I'm like. Soon as I feel good enough, or someone else is going to have to go and mark that spot so nobody cuts it down or anything. Right. Right. Make, make sure, sure I have. Make sure it's not mown down. Yeah. We were talking this weekend as we were talking about herbs that relieve pain about the ability of some pain relieving herbs to work better at lower doses. Especially okay. since this is your hypericum, try taking a little bit less or even quite a lot less. You've been taking a dropper full at a time? Mm, yeah. Try taking five drops at a time. Okay. And do that for a while. And if that doesn't seem to do anything, start taking ten drops at a time. Play around with it and see if a smaller dose. I relate it to the students that... I had, was taking California poppy to deal with some pain because I'd never worked with California poppy before. And I know that it's a good pain-relieving herb. It's easy to grow. And it's a pretty plant. So I wanted to have some familiarity with it. And, well, I was in pain, so why not try California poppy? And I was taking a whole dropper full. And it wasn't doing much of anything. And I complained to somebody, and she said, try five drops. And... Wow, it really worked at five drops. Wow, okay, I will do that. Yeah. Um, and I, I gathered all my notes out, and there's a lot of things on there. I might not even have to ask anything else, but I, I, if you had one affirmation that you could give me, uh, what would it be? 
to say to myself. Um, I'm try- I mean, I'm pretty positive about it, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty painful. The Lyme disease is painful. You have pain in your joints. Yeah, in my lower back, like my lumbar area is where... In your lower back, your lumbar area. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the ways that I envision pain is that it gives me an opportunity to focus on a particular part of my body and to make that part of my body stronger and more resilient. Okay. I already and did, then I uh, ask that uh, part of my body what it needs. Okay. I know when I was teaching my apprentice class in Germany, they complained that it was hard to sit up and in class for three hours. They didn't have chairs. And I was also teaching a yoga class um, for them because I like it when there's somebody else to teach the yoga class just because that's fun, but I was doing it. So I looked in my books that I'd brought with me, and it said that uh, sore backs or weak backs come from weakness in the what, what's currently called the core muscles, the belly muscles, the front of the body, the muscles in the front of the body. Okay. And that lower back pain especially comes from a posture in which the upper body is arced back a little bit and the buttocks are arced out a little bit. Okay. And to counter that by turning the buttocks and the tailbone in and really getting your ribs in front of your spine. Okay. Um, I do some qigong, so that makes me think of that yeah. posture. Yes, exactly. How does your uh, lumbar region feel when you're doing qigong? Oh, awesome. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Always so good. Okay. So Thank it's you. not like some terrible thing has befallen you, but you have been gifted with an opportunity to really line yourself up, as they say in Qigong, right? Yeah. (laughs) Line yourself up and line yourself up in alignment with the earth so that you uh, become one of the nodes through which that energy can be of benefit to all. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings to you. Good night. Good night, thank you. All right, and we have four listeners that have pressed one to let us know that they have a question and would like to speak with you. The next caller is calling from the 423 area code. From the 423, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. I just have a question about the dandelion wine. Um, I have made some bottles, and come winter solstice, 
when I open that bottle, will I have to refrigerate it after it's opened or put it back in the cabinet? You can refrigerate it if you want to. I don't. Time limit that I will need to drink it if I'm just drinking a uh, a quarter of a cup a day? I think that you will get to the bottom of the bottle before anything bad happens. What happens to wine when it goes bad? Mm, turns to vinegar. Not so bad. Right. 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 Okay. Okay. <laughs> Would you know? Uh, yes, I think so. <laughs> I think so too. And you say, hmm, I don't have dandelion wine anymore. I now have dandelion flower vinegar. Yes, and then I made some red clover wine, and that's okay to do also. Mm hmm. Exactly. Because my dandelions are almost done, so now my red clover's blooming, so I thought I'd take advantage of that. Good for you. Okay. Uh, green blessings, Susan. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. And three callers have pressed one to raise their hand with a question. The next caller is calling from the 90 area code from the 908. <clears throat> yes. Hi, Susan. It's Carol Raftis from New Jersey. Hi, Carol. What's up? Oh, yes. Good, good. Um, well, I just have a couple um, questions. And um, one is when I was on your deck for one of the workshops, you had um, shiso growing in pots, as I believe. And I just wondered, um, what did you do with that again, the shiso? And was I correct? Because it was a long time ago. Yes, I still have shiso. Shiso is... I call it American holy basil. Oh. You've heard of holy basil or Tulsi, yes? Yes. A sacred plant that grows in very hot climates like India. Mm-hmm. Shiso is in the same family. Right? Tulsi is a kind of basil, and basil's in the mint family, and Shiso's in the mint family like catnip, which we were talking about, and skullcap, which we have been talking about. And um, like Tulsi, Shiso comes in both green and purple leaved mm-hmm. varieties. And Shiso also has a, yet another variant, <clears throat> which is a very rippledy edge to its leaf. And you mm-hmm. can get either green or purple with the rippledy edge as well. As a matter of fact, if you eat sushi... And you get the sushi boat. There will probably be a rippledy edge shiso leaf on it. The rippledy edge leaves have a kind of odd flavor. It's not exactly the same odd flavor in cilantro that some people don't like, but it's 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 in the same marketplace. It's not. I can eat it. I don't mind eating it, but some people really turn their noses up at it. The flat leaf shiso, which is the one you remember growing here, I first started growing because a student of mine who lived in Japan sent me seeds. And she said, this is shiso, S-H-I-S-O. This is shiso, perilla frutescens. We use it to get through the long 
cold winters. Plant it once. Make sure you never harvest the flowering tops, and you'll have it forever. So I planted it, and it was the true flat-leaf purple variety that is so delicious that you can use it in any way you'd use any other mint. You can put it in your salads. You can make pesto of it. You can make a vinegar of it. You can make a honey of it. I have dried it and powdered it up with salt and had shiso salt. I, You know, you could... Any way that you could use any other mint, you can use shiso. It's a wonderful plant. It, like all mints, eases pain. But like healthy, it's an adaptogen. Mm, Wow. I know that Johnny selected seeds. Um, Used to tell. Thank you. Flat Mm -hmm. purple. Perilla, P-E-R-I-L-L-A. Perilla frutisans. Shiso. I don't know if they still do, but I know they did, and hopefully they still do. I have found that seeds that I've gotten, and you're wondering why I've gotten seeds, because I should have had the plant forever here, right? An apprentice decided to do me a favor and cut off all the flowering tops because she knew mm-hmm. that perennial mints, if allowed to go to flower, will die. But this is an annual, not a perennial. And so I didn't have it for a while, and then I wound up having to buy seeds. And I haven't yet found seeds that stay true purple. They keep reverting back to green. Oh. And the purple, to me, the flat purple leaf has the very best flavor, and then the flat green leaf, and so on. So happy Perilla Frutisans year to you. It is not too late to sow some. Keep the flowering tops, and you'll have it forever. Amen. Wonderful. And I also was going to ask you, what what are you planting now? Are you planting um, seeds and plants outside as well as all the um, wild things that you have? You know, I hardly do any of that at all, Carol. Right. It just hardly makes any sense to me. Right, because you have a, a plethora. You have such a rich um, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, if there's a spot in my refrigerator that needs to be filled with a jar of pesto, then I have to say, do I want chickweed pesto? Oh, it's a little leggy and old now. How about dandelion pesto? That could be pretty good. (laughs) It's all bloomed out, and the leaves will be much sweeter than when it was blooming. Or maybe you want to make uh, pesto from the um, gill over the ground. That would be an exciting thing. So, I I don't need to plant any basil because I have so many other options that are here and so many other things to do with my time. Now, of course, I am blessed with a place where it would be really practically absurd to plant anything because, as you remember, I have two kinds of soil, broken rock and solid rock. (laughs) Yes, yes. And so what I can grow is weeds because the goats walk around and <clears throat> fertilize in between the rocks. And oh, then plants right. spring up. And the shiso, oh. like most of the mints, is ignored by the goats and the deer. Oh. So shiso mm. can grow anywhere on the property. And wild oregano can grow and lemon balm can grow. Oh. And wild mint can grow. 
and the goats won't eat them. As a matter of fact, my willow tree has gotten to be a sufficient girth that I'm even thinking of taking the fencing around. I've been kind of telling myself that it's protecting the Monarda didyma, but I actually suspect that the goats, because it's a mint, wouldn't eat it. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah, they certainly, um, they, and they don't eat the catnip. Oh, wow. Oh, so, great. Yeah. Yeah. And last last point is, do you have, a, like, a formula for how you keep track of, of the nourishing? Like, I do um, uh, nettle on Monday, and I know you have, <laughs> you're good about formulas and procedures. I don't. <laughs> I don't. You just do it. So, so let's do. see. Friday night we said... Let's see, there's going to be this many people for class and this many people staying over. So we think we're we're going to need about three gallons of infusion. Oh. And so we made three gallons of infusion. And then Saturday night we looked and we said, hmm, we have a gallon and a half of infusion left. That means we drank a gallon and a half. I said, well, actually, we drank two gallons. There was half a gallon of oat straw that had been left over from the day before, and I put that out at lunch, and we finished that off. So we really did do two gallons, but now there's a gallon and a half left. I said, and I think there's one last person for class tomorrow, so I think that'll be enough. So we did the same infusion two days in a row because we had it. Right. And... Then we said, what do we want next? And we had whatever Mm. that was. And then we said, what do we want next? And we had whatever that is. Okay. So it's it's not um, that precise. And it's even more precise than that because we're going with what we need. Yes, yes, intuitively and what your body said. Yeah. Perfect. Oh. Bless you, bless you, and thank you for your energy and all that you do for us. It's it's just beyond spectacular. Thank you, Susan. I love you, Carol. Thank you. Good night. Green blessings. Green blessings, and thanks for having Brooke Medicine Eagle. Woohoo! Woohoo! All right, and we have three callers with their hands raised with a question. Our next caller is calling in from the 919 area code in the 919. You are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Good evening. Um, I am out for a really beautiful, lovely evening walk with my son. And <laughs> he he decided to join me, and I said, well, then you just have to listen to Susan while we walk until I get on the line with her. So we've been listening as much as we can distractedly um, to the show <laughs> while we walk, which is very sweet. Um, and I <laughs> I wanted to share a discovery we just made, which you, I'm sure, know, but we um, came across a um, a thistle, so one of the big like fuchsia purple thistles and Oscar my son picked a flower and he couldn't get the flower off but with his teeth so he picked it off 
And then we noticed it has bluish purple pollen. And it stuck to our noses when we smelled the thistle. It was so amazing. I don't think I've really paid attention to colors of pollen other than bright orange and yellow. How delightful to find yourself being a pollinator. <laughs> yeah, we stuck our noses in the flower. He stuck his nose in the flower. And I go, Oscar, your nose is all blue. <laughs> oh, this is very cool. Yeah. You know, um, artichokes are thistle buds. Oh, yeah, of course. Right? They're oh, a giant I, I've never grown that's what I figured. I knew the the milk thistle seeds are edible, um, so I figured, and they're the, in the Asteraceae family. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, this is there's this. We don't we don't get a ton ton where I live, but this one was on the side of the road and has just been like, you know, drawing so much attention. It's really sweet. Um, but I do have a question for you. Um, so last, I think it was last week, you mentioned that you use your whey at times because you have a lot of excess whey, and you've been using it to, I guess, fertilize some in your, amongst your plants, and that you have noticed that it had them flower more. And I was curious because we have dairy cows and um, we have fewer pigs than we used to have. And so we have an excess of whey. And I was like, oh, my gosh. It was almost a thought, like I felt like it was a message for me because I've been thinking, like, what are we going to do with all of this extra whey? Um, <laughs> and that was like, oh, we can use it in the garden. And so I was just curious, we make a really simple uh, cheese uh, from our milk that we use the same culture that you make chev from, but just with cow milk. And we do it, you know, basically the same process. And so I was just curious what kind of cheese you make, um, mostly because my friend said that when she looked up using whey in the garden that... There, you know, on the internet, there was all these stipulations, and I was like, "Well, let me just ask Susan what she thinks." So, I'm curious about what the stipulations are. Well, she had said that it would depend on the type of cheese, um, you know, mesophilic versus thermophilic, and I agree. I was kind of like, "Well, I don't know if I agree with you," but <laughs> I thought to myself. I can't imagine as long as there's no salt, like no uh, nothing else in exactly. it. Exactly. So as long as there's no salt way, way, it can't hurt the ground of the plants. Okay, that's what that's how I felt, and I just wanted to check with you yeah. if you it's had ever heard anything. Protein. Protein. Okay. Yeah. It's liquid. Right. Most of the protein is in the curd. Uh huh. But. There's, but unless you have absolutely clear whey, there's some protein in the whey. And I dilute it. Uh-huh. 
And I'm not trying to grow a specific crop. Right. Well, I'm just using it as a kind of general, right? But I noticed that when I did give it to specific plants, like I'm sitting next to my lemon tree, which is covered in flowers and has been for over two weeks now after I gave it some white. Wow. And did you just do it once or did you do it once, repeatedly? Yes, once. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So we're, one, we're kind of, you know, spreading the way around. And before I did that, I used to just dump it in the compost pile. Uh-huh. Because we have big compost piles. Yeah. And I figured at the very least it would be a benefit in the compost. Yes. Certainly not of benefit in the water. Right. I don't want to dump it down the drain because my drains go right out into my ponds. Thank you. Right. And it's not, I mean, it's just such a nutritious substance. Exactly. It would be a shame. Right. And when you, do, you know, <laughs> certainly best to have the pigs to feed it to, but if you don't have the pigs yeah. to feed it to, and if the new goats aren't going to drink it, then you got to figure out something else to do with it. And there's a yeah. limit to how much your toast one can make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the limit is quite small, one batch usually. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Every ten or twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. For those not to know what we're talking about is a whey cheese made by boiling the whey down to a cheese which I yeah. call northern miso. Because it is, by the time you are done, it is the color of miso, and it is pretty much the texture of like a cross between miso and brown sugar. And so it's kind of crumbly, spreadable, and really mineral rich. Wow, well, yeah, I should try it sometime. I've only heard of it, but. And it's like you make it. Yeah, yeah, you make it in the winter on your wood stove, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because you right because you start off with 5 gallons of whey. Mhm. To wind up with your little bit of your toast. Because the whey is already mostly water and you'll see what you're doing is boiling it down to those proteins and minerals. Yeah. Wow, that would be amazing. Right. And that's that what you're giving to the garden is the proteins and those minerals that are in the way. And do you find it, I mean, it obviously is very acidic. So maybe like acid-loving plants like blueberries um, might really appreciate it. Right, and I live in a blueberry oak pine forest. So, <laughs> so they're All very the plants around me like, yay, acid. You know? <laughs> yes. And as That's I said, awesome. I dilute it. I don't think it's that acidic. Okay, yeah. And, and to answer yeah, your question more clearly, I take five gallons of fresh goat milk. I bring it up to 90 degrees. I use commercial rennet, um, mm-hmm. which I hear is uh, made from a mushroom byproduct that it's uh, oh. loosely called vegetable rennet. Yeah. And I put in a, usually 10 to 12 drops of rennet per gallon of milk plus the same amount for the pan, stirring. And I mm, 
stir for anywhere between 30 and 60 seconds. And then let the milk rest for anywhere from 20 to 60 minutes. Cut the now solidified curd into pieces. And again, let it rest and settle for anywhere from... Well, if I'm horribly impatient, I might start draining it within 15 minutes. Because it's much mm-hmm. better if I just walk away and let it sit there for an hour or so. Mm. But the milk is fresh and sweet. The milk is not has not developed much lactic acid. And, of course, that's especially important with goat milk because as goat milk develops lactic acid, it also develops caprolinic acid. And caprolinic acid is that nasty taste that we don't like in goat's milk. As a matter of fact, every jar of milk as it's opened before it goes into the cheese is tasted because the slightest bit of that caprolinic acid will make the whole cheese taste bad. So how old is the milk when you make the cheese? Like up to how many days? Just curious. Right now, we're making a five-gallon cheese approximately every 48 hours. Okay. This winter, we made a three-gallon cheese every two or three weeks. Milk went into smaller jars. The milk is immediately strained and immediately refrigerated. No more than three minutes is to elapse between bringing the milk into the house and getting it into the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. And those jars are sealed and they are not opened until the milk goes into cheese. Mm Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love that. So, so it's not a so you don't use a culture. You just are making um you just I put using the in some of the way from the previous batch. Okay. And that counts as culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, that's great. And five gallons anywhere from one to four quarts of whey. Okay. That's wonderful. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I love hearing I love hearing about your homestead, you know, those types of little details. And then just to finish up, you know, the curd settles down. I pour the whey off. The whey that we started talking about, like, then what do you do with it? Because you have, you know, five gallons of milk, which is 40 pounds. And from that, Uh you're going to get five pounds of cheese and 35 pounds of whey. The vast majority of what you're making is whey. That's why this woman and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name, are talking about what to do with the whey. You want to want cheese, good, you make cheese. But what you make a lot of is whey. So there's five-pound cheese. We put it in a organic cotton diaper in a colander after we've salted the curd and tie it up and let it hang and drip until it dries. And it's a pretty firm sliceable cheese. It's not a chevre. Oh, okay. That sounds lovely. I can't wait. I'll re-listen to the to the podcast and I'll and to follow it, up. it by step exactly. Yes, yes. Oh, that sounds lovely. Yeah, we're we've always just made our cheese this way. We used to have goats and then we transitioned, well, we used to have cows and goats and then we transitioned away from goats. One day my dream is to get back 
to having goats when I have more freedom and can do what you do. I love the sound of like keeping them enclosed and then shepherding them around. Like that, that is amazing. Cause our, we had a lot of trouble with parasites um, in trying to rotate them in pasture. <laughs> and so I love the idea of keeping them somewhere, but then, you know, following them around and moving them that way and allowing them to browse. Yeah, but, but we um, have zero, zero parasite problems. I love that. Yeah, that's the yeah. only way to do it. We yeah. we had goats for many years, and it was just such a poor night. I mean, poor things. Yeah, it was rough. Even uh, though as much as we ro- rotated them, and yeah, it was not great. And we live in a very humid, hot climate, so it was just like, mm. too bad. What kind of cows do you have? Jerseys. We have two Jersey cows that we hand milk. That's rich milk. It's so lovely. We love it. Yeah. And Do you make your own butter? Girls. No, you know, we, we we pretty much sell, like, we, we sell some raw milk. We make yogurt and cheese. And so we've never actually had a need for um, really making butter. I just eat the cream sometimes off the top. But. The goat's milk gets a lot more cream in the winter. And as a matter of fact, the cream will come off in the whey. And I've made butter from whey cream. Ooh, that's probably so good. So it is like a miracle. It is, you know, it's like fermented butter. It's really amazing. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Thank goodness for my trusty blender. Oh, right. That's how you do oh, it. Yeah, I don't, I'm not doing that by hand. That goes in the blender. <laughs> <laughs> and That's again, awesome. for those listening who think, what, what are these ladies on about, you know, how many seconds and how long you're stirring? And so believe me, these, these things make big differences. This is, this is the difference between a Gouda cheese and an Edam cheese. It's the difference in what the animals eat, and it's literally the difference in how many seconds you stir and how many drops of rennet you put in and how long you let the cheese sit at various stages. This is how we get thousands of different cheeses worldwide from one common substance milk. It is an absolute miracle. I call it the first herbal medicine because the animals that make the milk eat the herbs and put all of the benefits of the herbs into their milk, and then we concentrate in that, that in the cheese. Wow, what magic. Oh, I love that. That makes me feel so good. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, Susan. It was such a delight to hear all of this, and I hope you have a really beautiful evening. Great blessings. Thank you so much. Good night. Thank you. Good night. All right, and there are two callers that have pressed one and let us know they have a question. The next caller is calling in from the 352 area code. From the 352, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. How are you tonight? Hey, enjoying the twilight and hoping that you can hear me over the frogs. Um, as well. Uh, here lately, I have my eyes, I've been having problems with my eyes. And there's this coating from being on the water a lot that's kind of covered my outer from my outer eye to my lids or to my, you know, to my brown, to the brown part of my eye. And so 
when it hasn't bothered me, but it started to. You said that there's anyway, a, so hang on a, minute. There's a coding or a my... film over your entire it's eye? film. Nope. I noticed it when I went in for a prescription renewal, and she looked at my, she said, that eye thing, and I worked on the water a lot. And I knew it was from being on the water a lot because I could see it in, in my mirror. You know, it was kind of, it's just like a little, it's like almost like a, maybe an eyeball scab or something. It looks like scar tissue. And she said, does it ever bother you? And I no, it doesn't. Then after she said it, I realized it kind of does bother me. Most. I can't see that close very well. So I went back and told her, you know, it does bother me. What's the recommendation? And, you know, that they, this is very normal from the, you know, the hemisphere, like Florida and below, you know, where there's a lot of sun, you know, on the water a lot. Um, but what I noticed was lately is when I smoke cannabis, I don't know if it's connected. It's, I'm not so much asking about that eye thing as much as the, I've, my eyes started to kind of like kind of feel hot and just bother me when I, when I would smoke my daily cannabis. Uh, not every day. So, you know, maybe it was because it was in the joint form or maybe it was in the blood. You know, I'm just I'm curious. Maybe I wonder if there's something. Just that burning sensation of being tired, burning, and red. When... So right now and recently, your eyes have been really bothering you and they've been hot and burning and they feel really tired and they look red when you look in the mirror. Did I get all of that? You were breaking up you a did. lot, so that's why I'm asking you. you, you um, it sounds, I, because I try, I perhaps I downplay it, but that is, that is true. Uh, I'm sorry, was there something I missed that you said you downplayed? No, I just, you described it right. It sounds worse, but it's exactly what it is. They burn. It's not every day, but I was, I was wondering when I, one of my children, when they would smoke with me and they would smoke these hemp, uh, hemp wraps, but maybe it's not, but once in a while, maybe three times a week after I smoke, my eyes just hurt. And... What have you tried that hasn't helped? What have I tried that hasn't helped? Now, um, well, I do the chickweed, and I had, you know, put my cotton balls you, you in some chickweed. chickweed. You had some fresh chickweed, and you did some, just laid some chickweed over your eyes? Correct. And actually, the, the curatives that I've used do soothe my eyes. My curiosity is, is it connected to the cannabis, or is it just, my eyes are getting tired, and I need to keep trucking, you know. I mean, is it cannabis-related, or is it just because it is certainly I smoke well I was known that, that cannabis brings more blood to the eyes, causing them to be red? It usually doesn't dry the eyes out. But, they don't feel dry. Okay, but many people do. Um keep, you know, red away eye drops to use when they smoke and they're then going somewhere that they don't want their eyes to be red. And, and as I do. 
just so, seems like there were certain times where I'm like, oh, yeah. they're just so hot and they're red. And, like, I did and of course, cucumber, yeah. cucumber poultices yeah. are classic thin slices of cucumber laid over your eyes. Mm-hmm. And I think you good, said good, good. that you exposed your eyes to a lot of sunlight um, reflecting off water. Correct. And that is, as you know, and that's why you talked about it, something that is Correct. quite difficult for the eyes. So perhaps more sunglasses, better sunglasses. Um, I'm going to assume that if there was some way for you to um, expose your eyes less to sunlight reflecting off water, you would, but that you can't, so you need to protect your eyes in some way. Well, I've I've been, um, this was when I lived in the south, deeper south, but since I've been further north, I do notice it. I, yes, I think. Thank you for at least talking to me about it. I'm, oh, nothing absolutely. is working. Yeah, yeah. Like I keep, have, you know, you know keep noticing. Keep keep seeing what connects. It's very hard to tell what cause and effect. One is. night I put it's, two you know, castor it's, oil. It's science, science is always trying to tell what cause and effect is. It's, the great thing about science is that nobody blames the witches anymore. Now we all blame bacteria. <laughs> or maybe it's viruses. Oh yes, now we all blame viruses. <laughs> I love your analogy of of look at the birds are singing, sun's coming up. I'm telling you, it's exactly how that works. That's why the sun comes up because the sun birds comes sing. Up. I mean, listen, question me, work me. <laughs> it's the truth. Just cause and effect. All right, well, great, thank you, and I appreciate. I just like talking to you. Thank you so much for that. Just didn't think maybe the, maybe the can actually the cannabis is doing something because I I know it I smoke it and maybe certain kind of, it's just almost like put some cold put some cucumber you know yeah I'm a, there you go yeah but the further north I'm going up to Tom Brown t- Tracker's standard class in August fun finally after thirty yay. years I'm like I'm, yay I'm stoked about it. But anyway, thank you, Susan. Have a great evening. And, yes, cucumbers, chickweed, and probably more cannabis. That's what I always result to. Green blessings. Good night. (laughs) Good night. Okay. And at this time, we have one caller who has pressed 1 to let us know that they have a question. So I'll remind everyone, if you have a question, please do press 1 to let us know that you would like to speak with Susan. Our next caller is calling from the 207 area code. From the 207, you're live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. Cecilia. I'm calling because I have what I believe is like a fungus um, in the middle of my chest, um, so in between my breast. What I have tried... At first, I did nothing, and um, so I just observed, and um, then after that, I had made my own um, witch hazel with uh, rosemary and lavender, and so I started applying that, but I I would be super itchy. Um, 
then my husband suggested that I apply apple cider vinegar, and that really, like, ouch! Like, I was like, ah, it burns, but it really, really, it, like, it really did, but it just burned so, so bad. And then I tried also after that putting, um, they sell this, like, mullein garlic, which has, like, a little bit of calendula. It also has, um, St. John's where it has mullein and it has garlic. So I've been applying that. And then yesterday I was like, oh, maybe put aloe vera because I have like an aloe vera plant that's growing. So I was like, let me put that. So I'm, I'm seeing that it's peeling, but I still hear Like it's been a month and I still have it and it looks really ugly. I'm not totally clear about what it is. Could you describe it a little more for me, please? Yeah, I think it's fungus, like a skin fungus, um, because it's like a little dark. It's super itchy, and it's um, it's bigger than a quarter size. It's probably more like a 50 cent. Mm-hmm. It's not round. It's just like, you know, it's almost like rash... It's more rashy than solid color. The color is broken up like it would be on a rash. Is that what you're saying? And the skin is bumpy? Yeah, it looks, when I look at it, it looks darker, like I'm kind of like a milk, like I'm, I'm, I'm beige color. I'm not like white. I'm not super dark, but the... Uh huh. The fungus looks like and a the, little bit. And this, uh, this spot, lesion is what the medical establishment would call it. This lesion is lighter than your skin color. No, it's dark. Darker. It's darker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And darker has it changed in size? You've been watching it for a while. Yeah, no, it's been just kind of like the same, in the same area. It's been the big, big... It hasn't changed in size, no. So it hasn't grown or shrunk? Right. It just has peeled. Mm-hmm. Has been peeled. Uh-huh. It's, it's kind of unusual for a fungus not to grow. It's possible. But fungal infections do like to spread. It's one of their favorite things to do. I believe you said that this was on the front of your body, um, on your chest, um, up over on on to the side of one of your breasts. Is that correct? Um, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's touching more the left side than the right side, but it, yeah, I guess you could say it did grow a little, like it was small, yeah, it did grow, like, but it's not like, it's been the, but it's not growing um, fast, it's growing very slowly. Yeah. And I right. think because I, 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 I don't know, but I think you might be describing the spot um, where a brassiere would touch your chest bone. Yeah, like the spot in between, like right in between yeah. where that bone kind of sticks out. Yeah, like below it. Like if I'm wearing a shirt, you can't see it. But if I had like a like a cleavish uh-huh. shirt. Then there. So then, I, okay, so it's a little bit higher up. 
No, no, it's lower. It's lower. It's completely lower because I, I haven't been wearing bras because, you know, maybe like this. Because it irritates. Yeah, like when breasts are yeah, like, that, that's, that's, I, that's what I would think is that a bra would irritate it a lot, given where you're saying that it is. Yeah. yeah. Antifungal herbs include horsetail. And you can get dried horsetail and just make a very strong tea of it or even make an infusion of it and soak a cloth in it and apply that to the area. You can also harvest fresh horsetail right now and use that as a direct poultice to the area. It's pretty strongly antifungal. Oak bark is also quite antifungal, and it's actually the bark of oak trees. You can actually just go to an oak tree and take off a little bit of bark. Don't, like, tear off a huge hunk of bark, but a little bit of bark, the tree probably wouldn't mind. Or even easier, if you know somebody who burns wood, they probably have some oak in their firewood stack, and they would be happy for you to take as much oak bark as you want. And same thing. Like with a horsetail, just boil it up, right? Make a decoction of it, or pour boiling water over it and let it sit. And make an infusion of it, and use it. You know, soak a cloth in it and use it as a fomentation to kill the fungus. If it's a fungus, it's important not to reuse the cloth and not to put the cloth after it's touched the fungus back in your brew because there'll be more brew then you can use it one time. you get the cloth wet and there'll still be like 90% of the brew. So just put that back in the refrigerator and then use like a little bit, you know, of cloth that you're willing to throw away. Because again, fungal infections spread quite easily. So you don't want to take the chance of it getting back in the plant material. Okay. It might not be a fungal infection, but if neither of those get rid of it, that would be a good indication that it's not a fungal infection, that it's something else. And, of course, there's always the possibility that that something else could be skin cancer. From what you're saying, it doesn't sound strongly likely, but it is darker in color, and lesions that are darker in color are more likely to be cancer than fungal infections, which are usually lighter in color. Okay. And there's even a fungal infection that I think totally removes the color from dark skin. And um, generally, cancers will make a raised area or a rolled area. Um, both cancers and fungal infections will itch. So a biopsy could rule out skin cancer, and using antifungal herbs and it staying there could rule out a fungal infection. Yeah. I have, a like, a physical coming up, so I could also have, like, a doctor check it out as yeah. well. Yeah. That sounds good. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad like, you're paying attention to yourself, and I'm glad you're paying attention to your skin. Yeah, yeah. I have checked with my body and asked, like, is this, because I have also thought of that, like, is this breast cancer? But, like, my body says no. Um, 
you have to be um, figuring out. Okay, well, I'll try the oak because I, I, I don't think around here I have seen horsetail. I used okay. to have horsetail, but I, I think I, I don't know if I got rid of it. But thank you for your time. Green blessings. Good night. All right. And at this time, we do not have a caller that has pressed one to signal that they have a question. Um, so I'll remind everyone, we have about nine minutes before the guest tonight. If you have a question, please do press one to let us know. Um, Susan, I don't see Brooke here with us yet this evening. Would you, I have a couple email questions if you would like. Absolutely. Let's use those email questions. All right. Um, let's see. The first question, uh, hi, Susan. I have a question about beeswax, uh, specifically working with it to create skin products. Given that it is wax, I'm wondering, does it make as an ingredient for the skin? Are your thoughts? Will the wax clog pores? Thank you. I'm, I'm not sure I understand. Are we talking about beeswax? Uh, yeah, sorry. It says I have a question about beeswax. All right. Specifically. Yeah, okay, specifically. so it is about beeswax. And specifically about skincare products, is beeswax okay for the skin? Right, right. Yes, beeswax is just fine for the skin and is used in ointments that go on the skin worldwide. Uh, the only drawback I've ever heard is that in certain situations, using an ointment with quite a lot of beeswax in it in an area that is closed and has remained closed for lengthy periods of time, that the beeswax can give fungal infections a foothold. Most of the time when we're using a skincare product, especially if there's beeswax in it, we're rubbing on a thin coat and we're not covering it with anything. So that caution is generally not going to apply. Why do we put beeswax in herbal infused oils? Because they're less of a mess. It's interesting, however, though, I had a um, very dear friend, some of you remember, um, back a couple of years ago who um, had multiple sclerosis and uh, shingles. And I suggested to her aid that she get some hypericum oil and put the hypericum oil on the shingles. And she didn't, um, she didn't really quite get that I was talking about hypericum oil, so she went to a local kind of herbal pharmacy place and asked for um, hypericum um, to put on, um, you know, the rash, and they gave her an ointment, which is basically the oil thickened with beeswax. And the oil I have seen resolve um, shingles rashes very quickly, and the ointment made it worse. The ointment both tore at the skin 
In other words, the oil was able to go over the roughened skin from the shingles without tearing it or harming it, whereas the beeswax, in with the oil as an ointment, tore at the skin when it was applied and seemed to clump up and stick and get into those sores and cause inflammation and irritation, whereas the oil doesn't do that. So, by and large, I would say that um, although there's certainly good reasons for thickening oils into ointments with beeswax for facial care or for care of a braided or very old or skin that is in some way um, in need of the most tender loving care that I would avoid the beeswax and don't forget honey. Herbs infused in honey and that honey then applied to the face and don't use raw honey unless you want a facial scrub. Use some honey that's been gently heated or if only you only have raw honey. Just gently heat your honey so that it doesn't crystallize because you want honey that you're going to put on your skin to be Mmm, you know, really smooth and soft. I like violet flower honey. If your violets haven't all bloomed out, it's not too late to make some violet flower honey. And I splash water all over my face. It can be cold water or warm water, whatever you want, till my face is wet. And then I take a little bit of my herbal honey, like my violet flower honey, and I rub it into the water on my face. And I add little bits until my entire face is covered with basically honeyed water, which then dries, and interestingly enough, your face is smooth and it smells good, but it's not sticky or tacky, and you are not a magnet for ants. So I hope that's an answer for her that can be helpful. Yeah, definitely very interesting. Um, and while you were giving that answer, Brooke Medicine Eagle um, has joined. If you would like, we can go to her for another question. Let's go to Brooke. Brooke Medicine Eagle. Yeah. A magnificent woman, a legendary indigenous earth keeper, a wisdom teacher, healer, visionary, singer, songwriter, shamanic practitioner, ceremonialist, carrier of women's mysteries sacred ecologist, and catalyst for wholeness. Brooke is the author of the American Native Literary Classic, Buffalo Woman Come Singing, and The Last Ghost Dance. Her musical recordings, teachings, writings, and wilderness spiritual retreats have touched the hearts and minds of people worldwide. Brooke is an elder sister and a guide offering a lifetime of ancient and modern wisdom for wellness so that you may thrive and prosper. Brooke is currently working internationally, offering a heart-centered, ecologically sound, healing way for the flowering of individuals, of Mother Earth, and of all our relations. I have known Brooke Medicine Eagle for decades, and I continue to be thrilled to know her, 
honored to be on the planet and working at the same time as Brooke every time we get a chance to teach together. It's always a highlight in my book, and it's with enormous pleasure that I welcome you here, Brooke. Oh, I'm so joyous to be here with you, Susan. I, I so honor your just genius, wonderful, fabulous energy with that plant kingdom that is so rich and so joyous and vibrant and healing and wonderful for us on the earth. So I, I'm just uh, really happy to be here. And as Brooke was preparing for her time with me tonight, um, she realized that she wanted to share so much that she really needed much more time. So we're going <laughs> to cut to the chase and let Brooke talk. And I'm just going to give you your head, Brooke, and let you uh, wend your way without interference from me. If you need me or want me to question you at any point, I will. But I think that, um, that uh, as you say, you, you're seldom lacking um, in words to say. <laughs> well, this is wonderful. And, uh, you know, if you have any comments or anything, just uh, slow me down here. But I'm, I'm really uh, excited to share with folks. And one of the things that um, we were looking at and I was sharing sort of in the background with you is that um, my stance as an earth keeper and I think people are interested in what that means, and it's something I've carried for a long time, and so have others on the earth. And I certainly think of Susan Yu as, as an earth keeper as well. And one thing that came to my mind as I was walking across the garden to come in is I was told at one time by one of my very high guides, they said, you know, you can incarnate in the future, of course, but you can also incarnate in the present or the past. And I was like, hmm, I never thought of that. And of course, I guess if all things on all time and space is one, it makes sense, but it was really surprising to me. And they followed up by saying, you, Brooke, and many others who are your contemporaries came in from a brilliant and golden future to plant a seed of that kind of high consciousness into this current world. Mm. And, wow. That was so revealing to me, and it just felt right to me. And I have such a sense of that, and in a way that carries for me that sense of being an earth keeper. I mean, I, I was raised in the mountain country of the back country of the Crow Reservation uh, on my dad's original Indian allotment. And was out there with the, you know, on horseback with the the wind and the birds and the, the land and the animals and the plants and all of that. And you know, I just really fell in love with the earth. I'm just crazy about this earth. I just know that it's just the most beautiful, sweetest place in the universe. And so to keep it is really um, what I'm about. And. Mm. One of the real sadnesses of my life, and I'm, I'm sure for many of you, is to have seen the destruction I've seen in my decades, to see how we have damaged this incredible gift that we were given by Creator. It's just stunning to me and heartbreaking at many levels uh, to, to see us doing what we've been doing. And it really calls us to 
look at the fact that we're at a very critical time on Earth. And it shocked me when I began listening to some of my elders, my really wise elders, indigenous wisdom keepers from around the world, who told us and are speaking to all of us and all of you listening included, they say we have 20 years, one generation to turn things around and come into harmony and to step up into our true humanity, which is is heart-centered. We Mm. have one generation, Mm. or else we would become extinct with the rest of the family of life that we're causing to be extinct. Because most of you know we're in the great extinction. And, you know, the last one was when I believe media meteorites hit and the dinosaurs and all of those beings left. But we as humans are creating that on our earth now. And so we have thought, I think, that we um, maybe are exempt in some funny way. I mean, I don't know how one could possibly think that, but that we are exempt. Um, but in fact, we may just join the others uh, who are, are leaving our planet, becoming extinct, uh, you know, by dozens a day, I believe. Um, so that's what our indigenous elders are telling us. And it's really interesting, you know, when you sort of ask the question, do, well, do others share that mm-hmm. same question? And Grandmother myself, Twyla um, told us um, before she left in the 90s that it was already too late. Yeah. Yeah. So Very I'm glad we still have 20 years. Yeah. I, I, I remember that there was a delegation of, of, let's call them earth keepers, many indigenous cultures at the UN for a long time, and that they gave up and said it was too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so really is it too late? To um, perhaps really not. Yeah. We're certainly we're certainly looking at a lot of tipping points this summer. Yeah. Yeah, we are. And, you know, when uh, when I talk to people who are food producers, because what we're starting to see now is that uh, when you look at ill health, including the thing that's been happening recently with so many people being ill, and then we know something very heavy was put out into the, you know, onto the earth, that's really challenged people. But at the same time, people are as well not healthy. There's a really deep baseline of ill health. And when people who are very powerful healers, including medical doctors, have looked at that. They've, they've tried to have, you know, natural herbal and uh, good organic food uh, to heal people because we know that works. And that didn't work. And then they said, well, how could that be? And they started studying the food and the herbs and realized that the kind of pesticides and other things that we've done to our food mean that the food and herbs don't have the same kind of power, the same kind of nutrients, the same kind of, uh, you know, micronutrients, macronutrients that they should have. And so they're really looking at farming, at food production, and all of that as the baseline. And those people, speaking about the prediction, those people say we have eight growing seasons which spins around and so we as humans i don't know why we do this i just don't know why we do it it's so scary that we are pushing <laughs> it right up to the edge and um you know the thing is what i think we don't realize is that 
um, is that everything is connected and that when we damage something, we damage ourselves. It's quite Buffalo Woman speaking. She says to us, whatever you do to any other being or thing on this earth, you do to yourself because you are in fact one. Mm-hmm. And teaching is holiness. We are one whole being. There is no separation. And what's interesting, I like to teach scientists, they say, yeah, the Gaia theory, and now we're starting to understand, you know, the solid state theory and the unified field theory and all of those things. And, you know, now we're, now we really understand, we've discovered that, that everything is one. And I tease them and I say, well, right, Buffalo woman was talking about that about 20 generations ago. And, you know, it really has been that sense of, of holiness because, what we need to be looking at right now is, is what can we as individuals do? And one of the things I want to point out is that there in the old, old days were stories among Native American people that in the early days there were two monster brothers and they were freed upon the world. They were so absolutely enormous that, that they were you know, very difficult to deal with. And they were finally subdued by the loving hearts of the people. And in my feeling, in my heart, I feel like there are two monsters out again. And those monsters are fear and greed. (laughs) And so we have them to deal with. And our loving hearts, our connectedness, our oneness, our respect, our honoring, our... our, um, are acting from the place of heart and inclusiveness and all of that is is what can make the difference. So mm-hmm. holiness, you know, and holiness isn't about some big guy in the sky that we talked to on Sunday. <laughs> holiness is the whole thing. Whole, heal, healing, healthy, you know, it's all the same. And it all is really about that sense of the oneness, the wholeness that we are, that we are one with everything else. And, you know, another perspective, and of course it's part of what Buffalo Woman's uh, perspective as well, but it's really the feminine perspective. We're in the awakening time of the feminine. I wish it had come a few decades earlier, but that feminine energy in women and certainly in men as well is about unity. You know, it's about embracing. It's about... um, Excuse me, it's about caring, it's about inclusion. It's like there's no one who's outside the circle. And when we, uh, as White Buffalo Woman tells us, when we honor and respect things and care for them, then we, uh, you know, get to to live as, as one family. And without that, uh, we don't get to do that. And you know, it's very concerning to me that um, even our children, I, in the old days, I really understood, and many of the prophecies said the children will be the ones who, um, in a sense, save the day. You know, there's a whole new level of uh, light, of, of, of violet light, of love and connection in these new children. Uh, many of them are older now. You know, they're getting up into their 20s. But the thing that I feel has happened that's very frightening in a way is that they've been co-opted by the technology. You know, instead of being um, a lot of what I see anyway is that children are no longer 
out playing in the trees and, you know, making sports and playing and, you know, getting muddy in the streams when we weren't even supposed to and all of those things. We were out. We were outside. Uh, Mom used to just send us out. And uh, so we were outside all day long and had that deep relationship with the earth. And I think one of the challenging things these days is that, uh, you know, kids are, are not, uh, they're not outside. They're not out in connection with the, the earth. I think when we're not very related to something, it's hard to love it and think about taking care of it. Does that make sense, Sue? Absolutely. And I think that this is a grandmother task. And all of the grandmothers out there, I am charging you to be responsible to see to it that your grandchildren get out into nature and that they have some experience of nature by themselves. I took my granddaughter and a friend of hers, just a little younger, out into the woods with me one day a week for many, many years. And as they got older, I would encourage them to to wander a little further and a little further away from me. You know, first to where they could still see me, then to where they couldn't see me but could still hear me, and then even further. And to have those experiences themselves alone in nature, because I know that those were the experiences in my childhood that really shaped me and shaped my understanding of sacred. You know, that's so wonderful. And I I had an interview series. Uh, not long ago, and talked to many different uh, kinds of people from different, you know, things, everything from from herbalism, survivalism, you know, science and all of that. And one of the fascinating things that came out of that in my heart was a lot of these people said, I said, well, how did you get started on this? And they said, you know what? My grandmother, we used to go out to the farm. Even though we lived in town, we went out to the farm, and my grandmother or my grandfather did this or that they took me out they made me do this they 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 awakened me they pushed me they they taught me they connected me and all of this and i just think you're so right and always the the elders you know the the grand folks in the, in the old days you know the grand folks were the main teachers of the kids because uh, in those societies where people live close together you realize that the you know the the women and men of quote working age are out there working hard and so the children were often uh, taken care of uh, by the aunties and the grandmothers, and, and they, they understood that they were to be the teachers of the children. And so I feel like that's really such an important kind of thing. And one of the things, as we're speaking of the feminine, I'm going to do this very quickly, if I may, but I would like to, uh, to do this just briefly. I would love to take you on a little journey. So if you would close your eyes. Oh, yes. I'm so glad you're going to do this. All right. Great. Just take a nice big breath. And uh, what I want to do is I want to take you back to the beginning. And in the beginning, there was nothing. No thing existed. Nothing was material. Nothing had been made manifest. But what was there, and he's told about in every creation story, was a deep, dark void. Mm. And in that deep, dark void lay the, the potential, the seeds, if you will, the dreams of 
everything that might ever, ever, ever be. And that great womb is the womb of the great mother. Mm. That womb, that dark, deep, filled with potential, with energy, with dreams, with seeds, with possibilities, that is the womb of the great mother. Wakan in Lakota, Wakan, the primary, the primary being. And so the great mother is love. Mm. That womb is love. And then the great mother, out of nothing, called the father light. And I think of it as like, that that kind of sheet lightning that just sparkles or statics almost all over. There's this incredible light and awakening and awareness. And when the father light and the mother love came together, passion burst into flame. And that passion was a passion for beauty, a passion for creation. And out of that great womb then poured forth the universe. Star system after star system, galaxy after galaxy, it poured out in beauty and wholeness, all of it, the family, out of the womb of one great mother, a family of life spread across the universes. And at that time, you, before you had a name, you were called into being. You were called into being and given an absolute, divine, unique sovereignty. You were made of the love and light of the great mother, father. And you were set as created, as your mother and father, you were set into the world as creators with enormously creative potential. And so I'd like you just to let yourself drift. Just drift, allow yourself to drift. Think of just this moment of being able to drift back into that sweet womb. You go up away from the earth. I could take you on a long journey, but I'm going to send you swiftly in a golden bubble that moves so quickly up and out past our planets, through the beautiful starry Milky Way, past big Andromeda, another galaxy, and out and out star system after star system going out and in a sense back and dropping back in to that exquisite velvety rich filled with everything that ever was and is now and ever will be that beauty that love that richness and let yourself rest there We say, Great Mother, take me to that dark place where we need to do nothing. We don't even need to know. And yet we can be filled, nourished, completed, replenished, regenerated. Just let yourself rest there. Inviting, just opening yourself, inviting all of what is there for you. And one of the things that 
our Native women do in their moon lodges. This is where they go. They go to the womb of the Great Mother. Mm. And while they're there, they not only invite their own wholeness, that just happens, that just absorbs, that just comes in, but you can also say, what is it that I can bring back? What out of this great womb of possibility can I bring back to my people? And so you can be inspired. Your creativity can be sparked incredibly so that as you drift up out now and out of that great womb, then you carry with you, embedded in you, in your creativity, in that rich light and love that is you, you carry this incredible possibility. And you carry as well then the remembrance as you passed back through all of these enormous universes, galaxy after galaxy, some looking as small as the head of a pin, you know they're enormous and on and on and back. The sweetness of the earth calls you back and back, coming back into this amazing blue-green, stunning, gorgeous gift we've been given, this planet Earth, this wonderful green, green, the green of, of plants and water, so precious, so different than so many places in this whole universe. You get to come back here, hopefully with an appreciation of the incredible beauty that's here, of the gift that we were given the magic of what we were given and what we are to take care of. And so, you know, the thing that I think is really important for us to see is that, you know, it's like everything is us. And it's an interesting thing because it's nice just to stay in that kind of dreamy place to contemplate this because the mind is too small. Our thinking, our intellect, our forebrain, you know, it's about you know, differentiating and, and, you know, remembering and all the experience we've had and this and that, and it's magical in its own way. But the deeper brain, the deeper intelligence, that's all the way in every cell that goes right down into the back of our brain and down our spinal column and connects us with all of life, that can understand and know these things. It's the kind of thing that all these wonderful herbalists that I admire so much, you know, they, they touch into that deeper place where where they're in communication with these plants, where they're now, I think, learning. I'm sure Suzanne has talked to you about learning from the plants new ways of using them and, and how to be with their spirit in healing, even as much as being with their with their physicalness. And there's so much that we gain. And an, another way we can think about it is that you know, the, the word microbiome is a big deal now, and thank heaven, because what we're understanding is that we have this, these, uh, you know, these microbiome, this tiny guys that we can't see, teeny, 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 but they were the beginning of all life. When life started to pour forth, it was just this tininess, this, this unseen to our eyes, and yet we are filled with this. Our own body has uh, you know, as bacteria and parasites and viruses and all of these amazing things make up more weight. I believe, don't they, Susan, they make up more weight in our body than anything that has human DNA. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just uh, the mind boggles, you know. Not, not but quite, but there are a lot of them, and they're quite small. 
Yes. Yeah, that's, and that's the thing okay. about the microbiome is it really is micro. You know, what was mm-hmm. fascinating to me when I began to investigate it more was to discover that everything we know right now about the microbiome pretty much comes from dried feces. And so, um, yeah, that's pretty much how I feel about it, too. It's like you're, you're putting me on dried feces, really. This is supposed to be a living system. What we know is that the microbiome of the large intestine, which we can see in dried feces, changes when we're young, usually for the first three years, and then it gets pretty much what it's going to be and becomes so individual that you can actually, like, identify somebody by the microbiome in their large intestines, mm-hmm. in their colon. Um, it's, so that stays pretty stable. But what really affects our mood and our health turns out to be the microbiome in our small intestine, which can change as frequently as every hour, and which wow. we have far less weight study. The few studies that have been done involve people swallowing cameras. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you, all of those who volunteer to do such. Um, <laughs> and, you know, People often look at me kind of askance and say, you know, Susan, you tell us that people don't eat raw food, that raw food has little to no nutritional value, and yet you have us go out and harvest salad. What gives? And I said, well, it's my sneaky way of getting dirt bacteria into you because that's what your gut needs. All indigenous people ate on the earth or very close to the earth. Not that they ate dirt, but they ate bacteria from the dirt which is the primary actor in the small intestine biome. Well, you know, that's so interesting to think about because I think what we're seeing now is that, I mean, if I were to look at any word that has come up for me or any series of words, it's like connection and coherence. It's like when we are connected and in, in play with, not sterilizing everything around us, but being open to receive things around us. I mean, you know, there's a, a book out, Eat Dirt, practically. You know, it's like uh, we remember as kids, you know, I probably had dirt in my mouth half the time playing outside. But, you know, just really being able to be available to things because what we're understanding is that that gives us information moment to moment to moment about what is going on in that larger wholeness of ourself, which is outside what seems to be our body. And if we can take that in, you know, viruses are passing through us, giving us information, uh, you know, all this bacteria, all this, all this information is coming in our breath, what we eat, uh, what we drink, uh, you know, it's all coming in. And it's really meant to inform us and connect us with things. And I think one of the challenges we have had recently, and I see it happening now, and it's very, you know, it's hard for me to watch it happen, is everybody's supposed to be sterilizing everything. And, you know, my teachers do sterilize everything, and you're really damaging the things that need to inform us, you know, that it's not, it's not a healthy thing to have everything sterile because then you are not in touch with, not connected to uh, the, the larger life around you. And that connection um, creates a kind of coherence. You know, we need to be plugged in uh, to what's going on around us. And that, that coherence, that, that vibration then, uh, you know, I think uh, allows us wellness. 
And part of what we're not connected into and plugged into these days is just the Mother Earth, you know, walking on, on the Earth with bare feet. Um, you know, there's a vibration. There's a, uh, an energy of the Earth that actually clears us, I think, and balances us, gives us what we have needed. You know, people walk barefoot down through most of time. And I think one of the things that um, is sad is that uh, when we look back, I don't know why people need to do this, but when we look back in time, instead of realizing that many of these hunter-gatherer, very kind of feminine societies that were really connected to the earth and all of this, uh, you know, they had a pretty good life. You know, they knew how to live off of the land, and there there was no lack. There were no fences. There was no lack of abundance. There weren't many people. So there was this incredibly rich life where people lived together in beautiful small communities and all of that. And for some strange reason, when when people look back, they go, "Yeah, those savages probably starved to death, and yeah, they were dirty, and they, you know, they had a heck of a time." So, you know, where they just have to get modern before we're so great. And it's just crazy, you know, that we don't understand that simpler ways of life, closer to the earth. You know, instead of calling it dirt, let's look at the soil. The soil is the gift we have, uh, you know, out of which comes our life, out of which comes plants, which go to animals, and both of those then feed us and nourish us and give us our healing. And so we have this odd, I don't know how we've gotten there. It's just, to me, completely, I don't know how we could possibly think that. I, I, I remember the the person who came here for class and left and said I don't I don't want to take classes with you you have dirty feet and dirty hands and I had to laugh you know and say to everybody if you don't want to take classes with an herbalist um who has dirty feet you shouldn't be studying herbs <laughs> right. yeah it's so wonderful you know one of the things I think is sad is a lot of people who are gardening now have those stupid they're kind of a plastic shoe they go out in and all of that every time we're in a shoe with any kind of artificial fiber you know and it's every one of our tennis shoes it's practically every shoe you can get uh you know cut you off from the natural vibration of earth so um you know we need to really get out there and one of the things i wanted to say i know we're drawing to a pose here but i'd like to give you the image that life is a circle it's not a pyramid it's a circle And if you think of a circle, let's knock a little piece out of a circle. Could be the tiniest piece. The circle is broken. The hoop is broken. And Black Elk, our our great teacher from the Lakota people, said to us, you know, we need to mend the hoop. And one of the things that's happening is we are destroying insects because of one of the things I want to say to you is absolutely pay attention to and put some energy into getting rid of things like Roundup, and dryer seats have the neon cottonides. We are killing the insect people. Seventy-six percent of them are gone. If we eliminate the rest, we will eliminate ourselves. We cannot knock a piece out of life and have it be okay. Well, I'm not necessarily pro Roundup. It is an herbicide, not an insecticide. Well, you know, but all the neocotinides and just all the yeah. pesticides. Yeah, did, yeah, did. Definitely, there, there's some, oh, some 
difficult, difficult insecticides out there. We're at a difficult pass in trying to feed 8 billion people as well. Brooke, I want to be sure that you get a chance to tell people how to get in touch with you. And I want to tell people that Brooke's books are fabulous. You cannot live without White Buffalo Woman. That You, you need uh, that, that book. And you need Brooke's songs in your life. Um, and I tell people that I'm pretty sure you must have um, CDs and even maybe DVDs out by now. Um, I still have your tapes, of course, because I've known you for so long. Uh, so tell people how to get in touch with you and how to get all of these wonderful things. That's just com, and I have a new wonderful training out of Power and Beauty training that I'm focusing on helping women. Uh, really get real and get happy and get in, help help support them and all of that. So, yeah, just go right to that website because I'm really dedicated to uh, serving as much as I can right now to make the difference. And I believe we can do this, but we need to step up. And uh, it's grandmothers who are telling you all it's time to step up, and there are ways to do that. And uh, I hope I can share more and more of those with you. BrookMedicineEagle.com. That makes it easy to find everything. Go there. You will be thrilled and delighted. Everything that Brooke has brought to this short conversation is there in much greater detail and much greater abundance. And it will support you and gift you and nourish you. And I thank Brooke every month at Moon Lodge. And tell everyone that I have held Moon Lodges monthly for 32 years because Brooke, because of Brooke Medicine Eagle. It's a trust. It's a connection. It's reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And you do it so magnificently. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you from my heart, my soul, my womb, from every part of me for all the beautiful threads you bring to this reweaving. And thank you, Sarah Ellen, for helping me restore herbal medicine as people's medicine. And thank you, everybody, for listening to us tonight. Green blessings, everyone. Good night, everyone.